Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Trap One podcast. This is Jason from the U.S., and my co-panelists today are... Hi, this is Jan from New York. Ross from Richmond. Mark from the U.K. So I think this may be a Trap One first. This may be the first time that we have a majority of panelists from the U.S., leaving <laughs> Mark and Carlisle all by himself. <laughs> I could do the rest of the podcast in my worst British accent, but based on the glares that I'm getting off stage from the family, that is probably not a good idea. I don't think you want to hear mine either. We are here today to discuss the trailer for the Jodie Whittaker slash Chris Chibnall Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who finale. It is called The Power of the Doctor. And we just learned with about two weeks notice that the episode is going to air on Sunday, October 23rd. This is usually the point in the Trap One podcast for those of you keeping score at home, where the host, usually Mark, drops off a delicious series of puns on the topic of the episode that we're going to be discussing. I stayed up until about three or four last night trying to come up with a rhyme for Chibnall, and it seems like Chibnall just doesn't rhyme with anything, (laughs) so I have no puns. I apologize to you, the audience. But what we're going to do instead is, before we start discussing the trailer for the 60-second trailer for Power of the Doctor, we are going to play a round of games, and we'll see how well my three co-panelists are up to discussing today's trailer before we discuss it. And the game today is everyone's favorite listener limerick challenge for fans of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or for fans of the Trap One podcast. Each of you is going to get one limerick, and we will see who does best. Jan has proven herself in the past to be an expert at this game, so Jan is going to go last. Uh, Mark has played this game already. Ross, you are going to go first. Oh, God. Are you ready? Yeah. What are the rules to this thing? So (laughs) it is a limerick, and I will read everything but the last word, and you will have to guess what the last word is using your keen knowledge of limerick rhyme schemes. All right. <laughs> See, Ross, given that you and I have similar political similar political leanings, I would have assumed that you have listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and you would know the Listener Limerick Challenge game. I'm kind of surprised. No, I have not listened to NPR in a long time. I really I like NPR, but I hate radio. DJs are the lowest form of entertainment business life forms. It's where the <laughs> talentless go to die. <sighs> so... All right, so we're going to start you off, and we'll see how well your knowledge of poetry is. Are you ready? Here is uh, round number one, and this is for Ross. The publicity grows ever paler. No Comic-Con panels or mailers. It took till mid-October to find some place to show her. Why wait so long to unveil this? Trailer? Very good. Ross got it in one. Although that was probably a giveaway, given that the trailer episode. So I guess yeah. the word trailer as the uh, <laughs> solution to the limerick was perhaps a giveaway. Mark, are you ready for yours, sir? Always ready. It looks like our faces are all red as we look at this cast list with more dread. There's no Maureen O'Brien, no Joe Clara or Ryan, but thank goodness we have Sophie. Aldred. <laughs> Very good. We are two for two. Maybe I'm making this too easy. All right. Um, and Jan is our limerick okay. expert, so I imagine we're going to go three for three. Jan, are you ready? Yes, sir. The YouTube and Twitter crowd mocked her. The deluge of hate must have shocked her. 
but the Biebs Centenary proves she is not ordinary. Jody will shine, and the power of the Doctor. All right, we are three for three. Clearly, I am not writing these limericks nearly hard enough. So maybe in two weeks, as we return to discuss power of the Doctor, I will have to be a lot more uh, fiendish and devilish. And just as an aside, since you mentioned uh, Comic-Con, I was actually at Comic-Con this past weekend, and I was on the only Doctor Who panel that was at the entire convention, and it was uh, to push a book that I'm in that is going to be for sale in about another month. And it, Wait, was just, it was just tragic. So you're trying to tell me that New York Comic-Con, which is probably the second or third biggest Comic-Con in the entire country and only convenes once a year, you're saying that New York Comic-Con meets two or three weeks before the Jodie Whittaker-Chris Chibnall-era finale, and the only, only panel they had was for a book that I imagine is not fully licensed by the BBC? That is correct. We had, I mean, we, our panel was on Friday night at 8.15 p.m., so we, none of us expected there to be a very large crowd, and, and it was actually, the room was packed. I don't know if you've seen my social media pictures of the actual crowd there, but I would say we, it was not a very large room. I'd say we had about 50, 60 people there, and I think if it had been earlier in the day, we'd had more. There was absolutely nothing, not a poster, not a postcard, not... You know, I, I can understand why people might, might want to travel, but there were other panels that had panelists that were there virtually, including where where Al Yankovic was on for his show, and I think David Tennant and Michael Sheen showed up for the Good Omens panel virtually. So they could have had something, even if it was just BBC America showing the trailer or you know Jody's Greatest Hits or something. There was absolutely no Doctor Who presence there at all. It was just staggering I, I especially two weeks before the show was air, the the finale was airing so what's the name of the book that you're in jan the name of the book that i'm in is called a world of demons colon the villains of doctor who and it's from and Fayette, fayetteville mafia press fayetteville mafia press who who are your editors who, who who's on um, the cover of the book uh david bushman who's also one of the owners of the the, the publishing company and um it's a, a series of essays literally all about villains of Doctor Who, um, everything from the master to, uh, invisible ones to the, the Slavine. And in my case, it was Silurians and sea devils and Santarans and Zygons. Oh my, um, oh my. just, well, cause mine was sort of a compare and contrast of how they did in the old series and what are they like in the new series and which one was more successful, yada, yada. Um, and it's a mixture of like very academic stuff, um, and more silly things like mine. So it, and that's coming out, I think, November 7th or November 8th, and it'll actually be available at Elihu Megalos. Let's talk about the Chibnall ear before we get to the trailer. Ross, I've listened to a lot of your shows, and I believe that you are a bigger fan of the Chibnall era and of Jodie Whittaker than the tone of this episode so far may have uh, made it sound. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your yeah. perspective on where we are at right now with the Whittaker slash Chibnall era? I enjoy it. It's, I think he did, he did. Chibnall made a choice to, I'm a huge Moffat guy and I like Davies, but they're writers who love to hear people say their words. Sometimes their words are more important. I understand the criticism of it. I like writers like that. I like a writer who has a rhythm and a bass and a, you know, I'm a Sorkin fan. I'm a, I like Tarantino's words. Sometimes his movies aren't great, but you know, if I, I wanted to be an actor when I was growing up, those are the people whose work I like. I would love to act David Mamet, but I hate David Mamet, you know, because it's all these people are hard. It's about horrible people doing horrible things. But 
the language is wonderful. But and I think Chibnall wanted to just kind of make it as close as you could to old Who, where it was just little adventures. He he toned it down, and I I like that. I mean, and I know some episodes didn't strike for people, and and you know, and some people, you know, there's an expectation in modern fandom that you know you have to live up to something, and you don't. An artist he cre- he created what he wanted, and I was entertained. That's and that's all you're supposed to be get. All I want to get from it, you know. You know, I found it. There are some episodes I don't like as uh, as much as others, but I think he touched on some certain. There's certain ones that I really love. So yeah, I overall liked it. There does seem to be a belief in the darker corners of fandom that this is Jodie Whittaker's show, that she writes her own scripts, that she plots the episodes, and that she is directing the episodes while she is starring in them, and delivering the words. So a lot of nasty stuff has been said about her, and I think in the years to come, there needs to be a very serious critical evaluation about the work that she's doing. Full disclosure, I am in the final eight days of my long-running Twitter Doctor Who pilgrimage, hashtag DR Who pilgrimage on Twitter. Um, I have gotten through everything except the year 2021 and the two 2022 specials. So the next time that I watch an episode will be Revolution of the Daleks, then I have a flux, and then I have the specials this year, and that will lead into the centenary. So my pilgrimage, this is the 25th month because I started in October 2020, and I've made it all the way from a junkyard on Totter's Lane to the present. Uh, Watching Jodie Whittaker over the last couple of weeks, I am just incredibly impressed at the work that she is doing. And I think it's a shame that the audience numbers are down and the Twitter reaction has gotten so toxic in certain privileged, typically white male corners of fandom. She is given the best dialogue out of anybody in any of Chimnall's episodes. He is writing in a very naturalistic and humdrum way for most of the cast, but for her, she is going full-on doctor, and the way she delivers lines continues to blow me away. She always finds the most interesting possible way to play the scene, which is the trait of the best actors to play the doctor in the past your Capaldi's, your Tom Baker's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I am in love with the way Jodie Whittaker is playing the part, even as I find myself not engaged with most of Chibnall's episodes as episodes. Ross, how do you think Jodie has been doing as the lead character? Because she's now been on the job for just about five full years, going back to the debut of her original trailer. Oh, no, I think she's great at it. I think she does what um, – she reminds me a lot of Troughton. And a little bit of Matt Smith, and Matt's my doctor. You know that there's an energy that she's just you know she she's made a choice that and it's uh, it's about how she walks, how she holds herself, how um, she even though like the tilt of her head, she's created these mannerisms and this energy, and I like it. I think she's uh, I think she's a great doctor. You know, I think I won't. You know, I'm one of those people. It's like my do- I don't have a. You know, it's not. My first doctor that I said was my doctor was Peter Davison, but you know, next week it could be somebody else. I don't, you know, they're all they're all good. It doesn't, you know, this pair contrast of good, who's best? It's who I, you know, it's she's great. I think she's great at it. She's rising to the occasion. She know, you know, she, you know, they're they're doctors that have had worse, right? You know, really bad writing to do and rose to it. And I think she writes to it with the, you know, she's, she's good at it. 
And the good news to announce is that Jody is going to be a guest at Gallifrey One in Los Angeles in Mm -hmm. just about four months from now. I will pay for every extra add-on that she is there for. If she is doing a guest reception, and I believe she is, I'm paying for it. If she is doing a script reading like Mandibill last year, I'm going to pay for it. I I want to see as much Jody as I can in Los Angeles in a few months. Very, very, very excited for that. I think seeing the announcement, which just came out earlier this week, I was surprised at how excited I was for the chance to be at the same 4,000-person convention as Jody Whitaker, but I am truly excited. Mark, as the usual regular host and moderator of the show, you generally don't give your own opinion. So, Mark, buddy, I'm putting you on the spot. Where have you been on the Chibnall and Whitaker era so far? Well, first of all, uh, I'd like to say I, I'm putting the responsibility with you, Jason, to make sure that Jody Whitaker enjoys Galley next year because I'm aiming to get there the year after. So she needs to enjoy it enough that she wants to come back the following year, 2024, when I'm going to be there. So, <laughs> uh, so make sure she, she has a great time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoy the era. Um, a bit like Ross, really, where Moffat's my favorite new series writer. I think the current era I'd put on a par with the Russell T. Davies era where it doesn't quite hit uh, the same spots for me as the Moffat era. But they, you know, there's, in a different way to Russell T. Davies, uh, you know, it's not quite hitting the spot for me. But again, like Ross says, the stories that don't strike, but that is the same for every single era, even, you know, like maybe season 13 of the old series, which is regarded, you know, by many as the sort of the gold standard. You still get the android invasion in there. There is no perfect preach. <laughs> I will just give a quick plug. Ross and I recorded a Doctor Who literature episode on the android invasion last month. So, and you thought the TV one was bad. <laughs> just wait till you read the novel. <laughs> we we had a lot of, ch- and I was able to get a clip of uh, Philip Hinchcliffe kind of sort of defending the story, and I played the one audio clip from the story that I like, but. Otherwise, it is 90 minutes of putting the Android invasion in its place. So uh, (laughs) Ross did a great job there as my guest to give a listen. But Mark, back to you. And I think there was a long time when, other than doing a pilgrimage like you're doing, Jason, where fans would just pick and choose which stories you'd want to watch and you could could create your own season of great stories. And that was a long time in the wilderness years. And then it came back and you're watching series sequentially in order – and it's a different way of experiencing it, I think. And you think, oh, well, those stories in that series that I didn't like, because maybe we've got out of the habit a little bit of, of watching series together. And I think that's been the case of every series that's ever been made. And I don't think this is any different. I think it doesn't strike for some people. But every era where somebody joins, then it changes. But that for some people, it changes too much and isn't the show that they fall in love with as much. But yeah, for me, I've enjoyed it massively. And uh, both the writing and Jodie Whittaker's performance, I think, uh, are very good. I think it's fair to say that Chibnall, as a writer and showrunner, is a victim of expectation because the episode count has dropped dramatically. Jodie has only done, I think, 30 episodes total, and she's been on the job for five years. So it's a longer wait between seasons. It is a longer wait between episodes, and it's fewer episodes a year. We've only had two this year so far we only had seven in 2021 with all that extra time you would like to think that they would have a chance to separate the wheat from the chaff so if you're not doing 26 episodes a year you shouldn't have any android invasion quality scripts 
So given that there are just fewer episodes to go around, you would like to have a lot more hits and a lot more misses. And unfortunately, his hit-to-miss ratio, I would say, and I'm a moderator, so I shouldn't give an opinion here, I would say his hit-to-miss ratio was kind of average, and I was expecting a better ratio given how much more time he has and how fewer episodes there are. But, of course, a lot of this is contingent on how he sticks the landing. There are a lot of unanswered questions there are a lot of extra characters rumored to be returning in the power of the Doctor that we do not yet know are coming back. This could really explain all those unanswered questions going all the way back to Timeless Children or all the way back to Spyfall or maybe even all the way back to Ghost Monument. So if this 90-minute Chibnall slash Jody finale answers all the questions and gives us all the goods it could give us a much better view of the era. It could improve the era's estimation by several degrees. So with that in mind, I've done talked at you enough. Mark, play us that trailer. Hello, Doctor. Welcome to the end of your existence. A dozen of the world's leading seismologists have gone missing. Fifteen of the world's most valuable paintings have disappeared. This isn't a day. You are erased forever. Bit of a conversation stopper. All right, now we've seen it. I am going to read a text synopsis from the official uh, BBC website. This is the text synopsis covering or describing the trailer. Who is attacking a speeding bullet train on the edges of a distant galaxy? Why are seismologists going missing from 21st century Earth? Who is defacing some of history's most iconic paintings? Why is a Dalek trying to make contact with the Doctor? And just what hold does the mesmeric Rasputin have over Tsar Nicholas in 1916 Russia? So, if you thought the trailer had a lot going on, that text description accompanying the trailer has even more going on. We're talking about four or five different plot twists. We're talking about a celebrity historical with Rasputin. We're talking about possibly a sequel to City of Death if we're defacing history's most iconic paintings. Uh, And, of course, there may be a backdoor sequel to Episode 8 of the Dalek Master Plan called Volcano, because this is an episode about seismologists. So there's potentially a lot going on here. Uh, Jan, starting with you, what was your take on the trailer? What do you think it means for where this final episode is going? Um, It's really interesting, because usually I'm very, very psyched to watch new trailers and see what's going on, and... I, I was at Comic-Con and I had asked friends to just like, let me know if the trailer dropped. It finally did. And I think it took me like six hours, seven hours before I actually got around to it. I watched the Star Trek trailers for Picard and Discovery, et cetera, way before that. So that sort of tells you where I was coming from to start with. Um, it's intriguing. I mean, I'm, I'm personally looking forward to it because I would like to see Ace again. I would like to see Tegan again. Kate Stewart, even when she's, grossly misused like she was in flux 
you know, I'll watch Gemma Redgrave read a phone book or a takeout menu. Um, you know, I like Vinder. Um, just, I mean, I'm loving Jacob Anderson on uh, Interview with a Vampire right now. So I can always watch him. Love Sasha Dewan, even if I don't always love his portrayal of the master. And I like the whole, he's obviously Rasputin thing because I think it, he looks great. I mean, it just like makes me laugh and a in a sort of, okay, what are we going to, what is this going on now? And overall, I mean, I'm intrigued. I want to see what happens to it. But I also worries me that like Flux, there's going to be too much going on at once and nothing's really going to click because Chibnall's trying to pull like too many threads at once and it's all just going to implode. I mean, it, in a way, I mean, and you guys were talking earlier about how the Moffat era was your favorite era. That's my favorite new Who era too. And Matt is my new Who doctor. I mean, and I started back in the dark ages of um, Tom Baker, back when I, in 1978. Um, so I've seen it all and I try to be open to everything. And I just like, with Flux, I want, I'm, I'm usually with the Chip Miller, I'm always optimistic and then yet disappointed most of the time. Where I, but I keep hoping, you know, maybe this time he'll stick the landing. Maybe this time I'll actually care. And there have been some good writers in there, including especially Vinnie Vitell and um, Maxine Waterton. And I, I think he's trying, but I just worried that there's going to be too many elements and too many things, even in a 90 minute story that's just not going to go anywhere, which is what happened with Flux. I mean, I liked it. And then there was, it just went all over the place and it kind of, in the end, kind of fizzled out. So we'll see what happens. You know, I'm again, cautiously optimistic. I would like it to be good. I love Jody. I love Jody as an actress. I've liked her in other things before Dr. Um, I want her to succeed. And I really do want her to go out with a bang, not a whimper. And it worries me that, you know, especially with the toxicity that's been there already, that it's just, we're going to have more of the same and I can't defend it. So. Well, Ross, you and I have spoken in the past, and I know you talked about this on Gallifrey's most wanted and runcible report with regard to the flux season. Uh, this is an episode or a movie length episode, really two episodes at a time that was made during the pandemic. And I think it shows during the trailer, especially with the bullet train sequences, there is a lot of use of green screen and it could be like flux. We're only going to have one or two actors on screen at a time due to COVID restrictions. So the visual look of this is probably going to be similar to flux because they were made roughly contemporaneously. Yeah. It was all one production block. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's a very effects heavy trailer. Uh, we have a Dalek, we have the bullet train. Uh, there weren't too many scenes in the trailer that were shot in your traditional studio. But with that, we do see that Gemma Redgrave is back. Sophie Aldred is back, as the limerick went earlier, and Janet Fielding is back. What did you think of the visual look of the trailer, and did it get you excited for the storytelling that we're about to see in two weeks' time? Well, I mean, it was more like a, a traditional movie trailer. You know, it was a lot of flash and bang. You know, it's – yes, I want to see this. I like – I mean, I liked – I think for Flux, for – the production value of Flux was good for something where – you couldn't be in the room with more than four people, you know, and you had to, you had to use a lot of green screen. Uh, I, you know, I think it's a shame because the first two seasons of Jody, they had bought all this new film equipment and it looked when they ghost monument looks gorgeous. They, it looked gorgeous, even if, you know, but it, this, it is very, this is shot very much like the old way. It's a lot of in studio and, or on practical sets and that it looks okay. I mean, I think they're showing us very little of it. You know what I mean? 
I don't think this is – I think this is just they're picking little bits and pieces that are shiny and pretty to make mm-hmm. you go, ooh, wah, ah, because it's – the longest trailer is 1 minute 45 seconds, you know? So it's – I think there's a lot we're not showing. I mean I hear that – I hear the rumors of rumors. It's kind of like is there more guests? No one said there was. The only people saying it are people guessing. Well, <laughs> I mean, I've not heard. I, you know, could be wrong. I've not heard anything come from like a BBC source. Just there are rumors of rumors. No, I, I've heard it from a source who has BBC sources, and including possibly one horse's mouth. But I can say no more. Hopefully, we can talk about it after it airs, and I can discuss it then. But I mean, that doesn't mean my source is correct or that their source was telling the truth, but yeah, there may be a few more guests. So okay. Jan, Jan has moderated the spoilers forum on Gallifrey Base and often knows more than she is saying, but as this is a no-spoiler episode, she is not going to reveal anything that she may have learned over no, the last I'm, few No, I'm months. not. I'm just saying, but there, I should say that my source in this case was not somebody from GB, it's somebody I know, so I trust their, the, I trust them in terms of what they discussed with their source on the on the the other guest thing i know there was they've revealed the the cover for the the steel book for the for the three specials oh, did they? Uh, yeah the, today the, i think yeah and it's sophie cowdery's artwork again yay um, <laughs> and it looks i mean it's beautiful it's absolutely stunning as all these things are because because this uh, this image shows uh the doctor the companions the master and tegan and ace and i think somebody replied and said oh doesn't look like we're getting any other companions then to which Sophie Cowdery replied and said well I haven't seen the episode my artwork is based on <laughs> you know like the, the two specials that have been on uh, and the trailer so there's there's sort of nothing yeah. given away there either and there have been musings and kind of sort of leaks and non-admissions admissions in the press there was another 1980s companion who gave a very coy answer this week as to whether or not they were going to be featured. So Mark, what were your takeaways from the trailer? Yeah, I think it looks terrific. Uh, tremendously exciting. I was uh, on Saturday at the Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder exhibition in Liverpool with our co-host UK, Jason, and we'll be talking about that exhibition on next week's episode. So tune in. We had a, we had a great time. It's a fantastic selection of exhibits there. So when we, when we came out and we'd been through the little gift shop and we went for a coffee uh, in another part of the museum, saw the email that said the trailer's out. So we, uh, so we sat and watched that. I'm very excited. The first story I ever saw was the Happiness Patrol. So Ace is, is the companion from my childhood when I was eight. That the, the, the sight of her reappearing is, is tremendously exciting. So I can't wait to see that. As you say, it looks like we've got... Sasha Dewan as the master as he looks in in most of the, this era, but then also as Rasputin. I'd love a callback to the sort of Anthony Ainley years where the Doctor doesn't recognise uh, the, like the quite a poor disguise, like a sort of a, a Giles Estrum sort of situation. I'd love her to arrive, um, you know, in, and uh, you know, in the uh, the court of the Tsar and and not recognise the master at all i think that would be that would be terrific that goes back to the john 
Pertwee era because Roger Delgado was cast as an ethnic actor and was able to perform in a wide variety of accents. So one week he might be Greek. Uh, <laughs> there was one Anthony Ainley – sorry, there was one Roger Delgado past Doctor Adventure where he had a he, – he was posing as a Serbian scientist and the name he used was the Serbian word for master. So – Right. With Roger Delgado, you could you could do that. With with Sasha Devon, you could have uh, you know, he could be you putting on a fake accent, and the doctor wouldn't know it was him until the accent changed and he straightened up and took off the mustache. <laughs> and the other really exciting thing for for viewers in the UK is to see a train that's actually running as well, because um, <laughs> on, uh, on Saturday when the trailer dropped, there was only uh, a fifth of all the trains in the UK were running. So uh, so that really did feel like the stuff of science fiction. This trailer was made uh, – the episode was made before the Liz Truss era began, so you still had a functioning economy at that point. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, since uh, Mark mentioned uh, Ace, I mean, one of, the, one of the shots that actually really excites me is the shot where that we're seeing Ace, like, parachuting in from somewhere. We're in um, the bomber jacket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in fact, um, I just read a quote from Sophie where she actually said that is her original jacket. She had nicked it and, or was given it when they ended her era. And so she's had it the whole time. And they were talking about how there was, they were going to have problems recreating it. And she was like, well, I have the original. Do you want that? And they kind of freaked out and she used her original. That's the vintage jacket. So that's Fantastic. very exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. If nothing else, I'm, I'm there for, you know, her and Janet. So. Well, I want to ask you something. Do you think that those little Peter McTeague trailers that he's doing for the Blu-rays and those little videos that are in set in the set, you know, I, I think Jim went, do it. Bring them in. I mean, because there's no reason to bring in old companions except to bring in old companions. I don't see a problem with that. I don't I either. I don't, I don't either. I wish they did it more. I mean, because it, it can be handled well. Sarah Jane was handled masterfully. Yeah, and even um, there's a Death of the Doctor, which is a Sarah Jane episode. Where uh, Joe Grant came in was really really good. So oh I, yeah, the yeah. two Joe Grant one. Well, the Joe Grant with Sarah Jane is the. I think that's the. I like that team up more than the the marriage of Sarah Jane with Tenet when Tenet was in it. Yeah. Yeah. So. RTD writing the episode with Joe and Sarah and the Eleventh Doctor, which is a terrific, terrific. It's also as an extra on the original Green Death DVD. But what you're saying, Jan, is that because you've had Maureen O'Brien come back and do new footage and character, and because you've had Nicola Bryant come back and do new footage and character, and because you had David Gooderson put on the Davros mask for the first time since 1978, you're saying that it's possible that we might see those three again because they've already been in front of the cameras reciting well, words scripted by Pete McTighe, who's already done some work on the new series. Anything yeah. is possible. Yeah, I mean, it it is a very it's a tight little circle. All these people that have run who since it's come back. I mean, they're they're more than just professional friends. These are you know, I think Chibnall. They're all very. It's a tight circle of friends. It has really been very in a form of nepotism, professional nepotism, that these are all people that came up together in fandom and as professionals, and. You know, and they're very big on supporting one another, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if that they sit down and have, you know, and have, have talked and gotten ideas, especially because I think the Peter McTeague stuff's good. I think his episodes were good. 
you know. He wrote Kerblam, which I really enjoyed. Until I really liked minutes. it. Yeah, I, I don't understand the the negativity about Kerblam. I mean, uh, Kerblam means very much to me because it's actually the last ep- new episode that my now late best friend and I saw together um, the night after it aired um, because she was in New York before she went, went back to Chicago. So, I mean, there's that. But I also, to me, that episode, like I, I said at the time, that it felt something like that was a very Tom Baker episode. I could see Tom's doctor in that scenario, and it would have worked just as well. So that actually, I actually think is great. It reminded me of the Sunmakers. It's like yeah. I want to poke fun at an everyday thing. Right. So I'm going to make it big and weird and strange. And we all get – I mean it was also coming – you know, it's we're all Amazon crazy or every I'm going to have stuff delivered to the house now. We don't go, you know, we don't go out to the shops. So I thought it was really good. It struck in my household because, you know, it's Amazon all the time. And this is a this is a bubble wrap house. We get about six or seven Amazon packages a week. And that means there's a lot of bubble wrap to go around. So my kid and I are always trying to compete to see who can pop more bubbles. And Kablam is Doctor Who's second bubble wrap episode behind Ark in Space. It is written by somebody who has the same bubble wrap finish. When I broke my elbow nine years ago and had surgery, the real motivation to recover was when can I pop bubbles with both hands at the same time again once my elbow has restored to full strength. So Priorities. Pete McTighe is coming from my point of view on, on the whole bubble wrap issue. So – the trailer also heavily features a, a bullet train. This would have been made before the Brad Pitt movie came out and was on anybody's radar. Possibly it's inspired by Bullet Train, the original Japanese novel. When you're thinking about trains, they also make for the best movies. Enclosed train fight sequences have been a feature of From Russia with Love or Train to Busan. The idea of a Doctor Who episode set in a speeding train could be amazing although given how much is going on in the story it's quite possible we're not going to get more than 90 seconds on the train how much excitement do you guys have for a sort of claustrophobic train sequence in in, in this episode i for me it depends because i mean i think chibnall kind of mind that already he's the claustrophobic like enclosed set because he did that with um, Eva the Daleks, which I actually thought was really, really great. So I'm not sure. It may be because, again, pandemic era stuff. So we're getting a lot of. Yeah, um, we have a know, train sitting over here. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, we're getting a, a lot of bottle not episodes. Running, again. So. Yep. We get, we've got a lot of closed bottle episodes again. So, and it's probably cheaper to do it. So I, it really depends to me how it gets pulled off. Because, like I said, you kind of mind that concept already. So I'm a little leery. And plus, there's so much else going on where whatever, you know, Tegan and Ace are doing with and whatever is going on in museums and you know yeah and, and you've got and, Cybermen you've got Cybermen and Daleks and yeah, the Master and Gallifrey and, and uh, what yeah. are those two planets because one of them's there we're seeing three or four planets mm-hmm. yeah there's the two where the the energy is kind of going back and forth and one looked like Earth but I'd have no idea what the other one is yeah, I mean, I'm guessing so. maybe Gallifrey I don't know and there's that big wide shot in the quarry that's now been tinted blue. There are two TARDISes. Mm. There's one in the far left, down. If you see the still in that wide shot where she's running across the quarry, she's running from one TARDIS to another one. Interesting. So, I mean, it's just as some, someone, someone far more into analyzing this trailer has gone through it frame by frame. <laughs> 
down. One of the things I noticed when I was going through it very slowly is is those two when the two planets seem to be firing each other and, and you say one of them looks like Earth, is that the camera is is on seems like it's on another planet again and in the bottom left of the frame there's some four legged animals there as well, which you can't quite make out what they might be. So yeah, it does seem like there's there's more than two planets. Um and it's kind of like a war of the worlds in, in what you might imagine a war of the worlds was not the book, like as in, you know, kind of a, a missile yeah. war, like something like Armageddon factor. I just watched, can you hear me? And can you hear me? You have the image of two planets colliding with an energy bubble trapped in the middle. And then one of the two eternal characters from, can you hear me? Not the Ian Gelder character, but the female was mm-hmm. trapped in a bubble between two colliding planets. I was wondering if that was a callback to that episode, and maybe we we're going to see those two villains again. I liked them. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I was wondering is just because the resolution for Flux was like really still baffles me because supposedly most of our solar system and most of our universe was destroyed, and then suddenly we never talked about it again. So I was almost wondering if seeing you know the planets, if something was tying in with how that was going to be resolved or whether, you know, we're just going to forget about it and kind of like rewind it and forget it ever happened. Who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm cynical. Well, there are three more images from the trailer that I flagged to talk about. Ross, there's a shot of the TARDIS and specifically the telephone panel on the front door, which normally says police telephone box free for use of public officers, officers and cars respond to urgent calls. Or during the Moffat era, officers and cars respond to all calls. And in the Chibnall era, it now says, ha, 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 Is this going to – is this the return of the Anthony Ainley master using his trademark laugh as the text on the front door of the TARDIS? I think it's kind of like in turn left. It's just, you know, something's manipulating. The TARDIS is trying – you know, either someone's manipulating the TARDIS to pass a message or it's passing a message. Remember, in turn left, it sends the me- it's it you know it uses its translation device to let him know what's going on. Bad wolf, bad wolf. That's right. Yeah, I I took this one as as kind of like I assumed it's the master because just the ha 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 seemed to be very you know the laughter yeah. seems very master esque. So I was yeah. thinking either it's reading him telepathically or he's sending a message. Yeah. Oh, that could be the master's TARDIS if uh, who which is changed to look like a police call box which could be why there's two tardises uh, yeah. on it later but yeah it struck me that there's a few bits like that like the the tardis door sign being like turn left the paintings is a bit reminiscent of day of the doctor the train traveling through spaces but like mummy on the Orient express uh, imagine those are sort of red herrings but it it feels like uh if you just watch the trailer a little bit sort of uh, of a greatest hits thing but Jason, you said at the beginning of the episode about the paintings being defaced. The actual dialogue in the trailer says 15 of the world's most valuable paintings have been stolen rather than defaced. So is that is that a discrepancy between the the blurb and the trailer? I was just reading I was I was reading the text rather than making my own conclusions. So I don't know who wrote that or why. It's possible that they've been defaced with clues and you put all 15 paintings in order and it gives you the coordinates to some galactic location. That would be a wild guess on my part. Yeah, but if if they're saying the paintings are missing in the episode, then that's going to be kind of difficult to do <laughs> unless she finds them somewhere else. Yeah, uh, True. 
Another image that struck me is, of course, the return of Janet Fielding. Mark, you and I did the Trap One episode on Eric Sayward's novelization of Resurrection of the Daleks a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I seem to recall that I was courteously deferential towards the book at the time. Mm-hmm. I can now reveal that I think it's just about the worst book that I've ever read. And Jim Sangster just reviewed it on Escape to Danger this past Saturday, and he was very positive about the book. And uh, the comments were a lot less enthusiastic from other non-Jim Sangster fans. I thought the book was dreadful, but the coda to the book, the very last three pages, appear to show Tegan developing superpowers. Mm -hmm. Do you think that when they invited Janet Fielding back, Chris Chibnall said, I must tie in to the Eric Sayward penned epilogue to Resurrection of the Daleks, or is this going to leave those three pages out the window and bring us back a a, a much more, less superpowery Tegan? Well, I don't think there'll be any, I don't think there'll be any reference to that because probably uh, if you're going to tie into the books, you have to tie into Sophie Aldred's book as well. The uh, the book that she wrote, which is Childhood's End. At Childhood's End, where, where Ace has already met the 13th Doctor. We know from the original trailer that she hasn't seen her for three decades. And there's a lot to tie in because the other thing that occurred to me when you were talking before is Russell T. Davis wrote that pandemic mini episode. Was it Farewell to Sarah Jane? Yeah. Where at the end of that, yes. Ace gets K9. So whether that is classed as canon, more so than the, you know, spin-off media like like the BBC books, does Ace have K9 in this? That would be something to say, I think. Okay, that would make me very happy. That's me too. all I want out of life. More K9. Yeah, I love K9. Yeah. Well, I have an even bigger sauce for John Leeson was very my when he met my goddaughter at a convention when she was like eight. He was so warm to her that she just freaked that she was now starstruck with Kane. <laughs> because he, you know, he did the voice for it. Everything. It was, he was an incredibly he's an incredibly sweet man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've dealt with him at conventions and he's lovely. I mean, it's funny because the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw was actually the Sunmake was actually the Sunmakers. So even though then it came to New York a couple months later, because I, I was in the UK at the time, um, my first first knowledge of Doctor Who was basically Tom Baker, Leela, and K-9. So I have a very soft spot about with K-9. John Leeson was at LI Who last year, 2021, yeah. and he is about the nicest guy in the world. And he does not appear to be on the guest list this year for 2022, unfortunately. But we do have, we, we do have Janet Fielding. We have uh, Sophie Aldred. We have Peter Davison, and I've forgotten who else we've got. <laughs> but those are the big names right now. And they just uh, got uh, Yaz's sister, the actress who right, plays right. Yaz's sister, as well as two of the new series, Cybermen. I'm going to an event here about six days after Power of the Doctor airs that Sophie Aldrew will be at. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting uh, what she has to say about it after the uh, after she's allowed to talk about it, you know, when the, when the episode's already gone out. That she that she was quiet this long is very impressive. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> she was on Reality Bomb a couple of months ago, uh, doing a gallery of the underrated segment on one of her own stories, The Happiness Patrol. And Graham tried to sneak a question past her about what's going to happen in Power of the Doctor, and she was very very diplomatic in not answering the question at all. So. <laughs> 
there must be a lot for her to say that she's dying to say, and I can't wait for her to talk about it, <laughs> which is yeah, why she's making so many con appearances after the episode airs, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that they're both coming anyway, and I, I really want to hear what they have to say. because ja- I'm sure Janet will have opinions and things to say because she's been coming out swinging since the, the, first, uh, the first trailer came out last mm-hmm. April. Because there were people on Twitter who were like, you know, talking about glorified cameos, and she was just she shut them down right away. She doesn't take anybody's crap. So, Jan, the last image from the trailer that I wanted to talk about is the very last shot. The Doctor is suffused in a golden glow, and she's screaming out what I thought was the word "yes." My Yorkshire accent is not very good. She appears to be saying "yes" according yeah, to everybody she's, else. Yeah, she's yeah, the I Yorkshire. Yeah. So there are two possible explanations for why she is suffused in a golden glow. Number one, it could be her regeneration. Secondly, it could be that she's opened the watch because when you open the watch, historically, the chameleon arch, it releases your past life flame, you yeah. in a yeah, golden glow. Comes out. The last thing that we saw is that she dropped that watch into an oubliette in the TARDIS console, but all of her past lives, including the pre-Hartnell lives, the uh, Douglas Campfield doctor, the Philip Hinchcliffe doctor, any past doctor who ever appeared in any Doctor Who media ever is inside that watch waiting to get out. Maybe she needs to open it during the course of the story and has her, her past restored. What were your expectations when you saw that particular scene? Um, I took it as regeneration or trying to hold back regeneration for whatever reason. Um, you know my feeling. I have very strong feelings about the Timeless Child uh, storyline, and I won't waste your time here but i basically it doesn't exist in my little world um i just i can't with it so i and also i I honestly don't know whether chibnall would want to open that can of worms especially right at the very end because it seems like odd unless there's something that i i know that he when he wrote this he didn't know that russell was taking over he was not told allegedly until like the day that the announcement happened. So when he wrote this, supposedly he was leaving it as an open-ended regeneration without any idea of what was going to happen after that. So it seems odd to me that he would suddenly open that and kind of throw that out there, especially if the, if they were thinking the doctor, doctor who might not be on screen for the next, you know, two, three years, if ever, like this might be another like stopping point before a long hiatus. So I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, Either way, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Um, I have a couple of friends who were very annoyed with the fact that she was calling out Yaz because they're not too big on the ship, and I think that's silly. I mean, she's a companion. She cares about her. Whatever whatever romantic or non-romantic things are going on, she's going to say her companion's name. She's her friend. So, I think it was a mistake for the Doctor to turn down Yaz at the end of Legend of the Sea Devils because... Rejecting somebody politely is not very good storytelling. It's not a lot of risk-taking. Maybe they'll reverse reverse course on that in Power of the Doctor. I think it's potentially a great pairing between two actresses who are very, very close and would have done incredible work with the material had it been given to them. So, Oh, definitely. I mean, my we'll biggest see. frustration with all of that is that it, it was finally, I guess, it, we finally saw it for real in the last three episodes of her, her entire uh, run. And also... I kept saying that, uh, you know, I could, you could see the friendship that was there between Mandeep and Jody off screen um, every time they did any kind of promo video. And they're just wonderful together. And I really wanted to see more of that on screen than we saw because a lot of it was very kind of staid and distant, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm sure I'll be weepy no matter what. So, 
going back to Haunting of Villa Diodati, which I just watched a few nights ago, there is a scene in there where Yaz is trapped in the haunted house with Ms. Claremont, who had, was uh, Byron's mistress. And she's talk- Ms. Claremont is talking about her attraction to Byron. And then Yaz starts to confess that she has an attraction to somebody. And I'm sure that is the very first deliberate hint about her feelings towards the doctor. But we will see if that comes uh, full circle in in power of the doctor with a lot of questions left to be answered. Uh, Second to last round of question. uh, Let's just go across the screen, starting with Mark. What else about the trailer caught your attention that we might not have talked about today? Well, this is, I wanted to ask you about this. There's a building sort of blowing up Independence Day style. And I was going to ask you, is it the Chrysler building? Obviously, you'll be a lot more familiar with it than I am. That looked like Beaux-Arts architecture to me. I thought it was a New York building, but I didn't freeze frame it enough to get a good glimpse. Jan, you were going to say? I, I think it was too, like, sort of brown tannish to be the Chrysler building, but I'd have to go back and rewatch. It did look like an American building. Yeah. I was wondering whether – I was just wondering whether maybe it was going to be, like, unit headquarters and – in New York or, you know, somewhere like that. But I, I don't think it was the Chrysler building, but I definitely felt American. It so. looked New York to me, but we'll, I guess we'll find yeah. out in two weeks. Ross, any other part of the trailer you want to talk about? Not really. The, the parachuting ace was my kind of thing that made me kind of giggle, you know, because you could <laughs> see ace do it, you know. Um, uh, I'm excited. It's I take – Trailers, I love trailers, but I also take them with a very giant grain of salt because, you know, I grew. I mean, it's just they're cherry picking things to to whet your appetite. And it was for a sci-fi nerd, it was a very big. Di- I was overwhelmed with the number of trailers because I'm a I'm a Star Trek guy, and the Picard trailer um, had me. You know, I was more. I was dissecting that more than I was the Jody one because there was just so much going on. You know, it was the same thing as what is going on in all this. That's a proper two and a half minute trailer. It's got long passages of dialogue. It reveals two big returning characters from the 1980s, next generation. That was a trailer and a half. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you guys watch uh, Mad Men or Better Call Saul or other AMC series, which I am addicted to, but Mad Men made a art of the non-trailer trailer. They would never give you the slightest clue as to what was coming next. Their trailer was a selection of the most banal lines of dialogue from next week's episode set to ominous, foreboding music. And it never, ever gave you a sense of what was really going to happen next week. Better Call Saul did the same thing. Uh, I was hoping more for a Next Generation-style trailer that gives you all the feel. So, Jan... Your final takeaways from the trailer? Anything that we haven't talked about? Um, like I said, it, it kind of underwhelmed me, but I'm trying to be positive about it. I mean, I didn't hate it. It wasn't like, oh God, you know, this looks awful. I just, I don't know. It just looks like he might be over egging the pudding again. Um, and also, and speaking of trailers, I mean, I'm a big Marvel MCU person, and Marvel also has like amazing at releasing trailers and yet showing nothing, including adding in things and removing things. So there's stuff that never, ever happened at all or using second takes or CGI, you know, removing people by a CGI or adding people in CGI. Because I know in, um, in infinity war, they put in, you know, the Hulk as him, as the Hulk and he was never there. It was always going to be banner in the, the Hulkbuster. So I, I mean, I don't think the BBC has the budget for that, so, but 
it's very possible that we're, they're misdirecting a lot of stuff. We don't really know. That's a great point because in the trailer for C- Jody's second season, they digitally removed Sasha Dewan from the party scenes because Chibnall, unlike – I mean Moffat's got a big mouth. So things got <laughs> – Yeah, except for got- one thing. Moffat did not want that reveal in there. He was furious when he saw it at BFI because he had no control over uh, the John Oh, oh which one was that? It was for the John um, Sim reveal in uh, World Enough oh. Time. Right. Yeah, he was okay, serious. Yeah. He did not want, that was not his, that, that was okay. not his doing. <laughs> right. But see, Chibnall has been very good about surprising us. Yeah. Better than the other two. I mean, th- th- Davies is a bit of a show. He knows his job as an executive producer. Now, especially since he's working for Bad Wolf, I also have to be the guy that sells the show. Right. And why he's going, yes, I know you're doing something, but I'm out in the public with our new doctor, so we're going to talk about it because that's my job. Uh, but I think Chibnall has been good about not spoiling big reveals. And I think he gave us Ace and Tegan as a bait and switch. So there is probably something bigger in there. And we have seen very superficial stuff yep. because that trailer going into Spyfall was a great, it was a pretty good trailer. And then wait a minute, what, you know, we had no idea that was coming. There was no rumor, there was no leak, you know. So maybe he's going to do it again before he leaves. I mean... I want to build on Ross's point, because I've just seen Fugitive of the Jadoon, and that is one of the few Chibnall-era episodes, along with Kablam, that gets my adrenaline up. I think it's a phenomenal episode. But that episode is a ninja level course on how to use decoy spoilers yeah you put the word jadoon in the title oh great a returning monster from the rtd era you think it's a monster story a simple monster story then 15 minutes in uh an actor formerly associated with the show comes back to play their former uh erstwhile companion and you think oh i didn't know that was coming that's a maybe that's 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 a real spoiler so now all of a sudden you have the title, which spoils one monster. Then you have the surprise return of an old companion in the middle of the episode. And all of that disguised the fact, which some of us on Gallifrey Base may have known about. I had no idea it was coming. Yeah, that, that was leaked because, unfortunately, there was a member of the crew who you know shot something on set. And, of course, there was a bit of the script, and you could actually see it. There was something like interior Ruth's TARDIS. And it was like, <laughs> who approves these things? But, yeah. Mm. But I, I know did not know that. Most people don't follow this stuff. I hadn't yeah. seen it. I was completely – when they went back to the lighthouse, I thought it was going to be a stealth sequel to Horror of Fang Rock. I've told that story before. Yeah. Um, so I was completely taken away. But that was spoiler. That was decoy spoiler upon decoy spoiler upon decoy spoiler. So maybe Ace and Tegan coming back in this trailer is a decoy spoiler for something else. So <laughs> we will see what we will see. Last round of questions – during the flux season, the guys who were panelists for episode five went back and gave their best predictions for what was going to happen at the end of the season. And I think some of them were partially true. Most of them were wildly off the mark. I will say that when I did the guest reception at Galley back in February with Sacha Devine coming to our table, he asked us, guys, what's your prediction about what's going to happen in the, in, in, in the, in the finale? And I gave him my prediction, and he seemed to enjoy it, but of course he won't tell me if it's true or not. My prediction is that Joe Martin is going to have to come back because she's done very little since Fugitive. It would make sense to give her at least half the episode to the Joe Martin 
pre-Hartnell Doctor. So not only is it going to be Jody's final story in Regeneration, it also has the potential to be Joe Martin's final story and Regeneration. And it would be great if Joe Martin regenerates into David Bradley at the same time that Jodie Whittaker regenerates into whether it's Shooty Gott or, or somebody else after that. I think it's a brilliant idea because I came up with it, and I'd be shocked <laughs> if Chibnall actually used anything remotely approaching my idea. But I like the idea of a multi-doctor story and a simultaneous regeneration. And Joe, Joe Martin is nowhere to be seen in that trailer, nowhere to be seen in the advanced publicity. I think it would be almost offensive if she doesn't show up. So that is my wildly inaccurate, spitballing, grabbing-at-the-wind prediction. From you guys going across the screen, Jan, then Ross, then uh, Mark, what are your best-slash-worst predictions for what we are going to see on October 23rd? I think for me, I think, you know, I, I think Yaz is going to, is going to survive this, but not well, but since we have Tegan and Ace and potentially some other previous companions, including Graham and, or, um, you know, and also Dan, I, I can see her going off and them all sort of like supporting one another and her being taken under their wings. So she's not, she's alone cause she's lost a doctor, but she's not really alone cause she's with other people who, who have lost a doctor, who have lost a doctor and have been through this before. So it's not like, because part of Yaz's whole storyline has been that she was alone, that she was suicidal, that she was not fitting in, et cetera. And now she at least has found support and potentially friends will be there. Maybe she'll even get a job with unit or whatever Kate is heading now, because I don't know what Chibnall has done with unit at this point, because you know, because of the Brexit joke, et cetera. Um, my other sort of wild, but not really happy uh, ending to this is that because there's the whole, weirdness with whatever's happening in the 60th and also shooty i personally really really want to see jody re regenerate into shooty i do not want to see jody regenerate into 10 or into tenant because we don't know if he's 10 or something like that i don't care if he's shooty and then he becomes tenant and there's some weirdness there but if we go from jody straight to tenant and then we get a what 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 i will probably throw something at the television so. <laughs> I, I'm I'm with you on that. I just or don't it. I it would really bother me a lot if it doesn't go direct into the next incarnation. Right, and maybe yeah. have a blip and say you know because we don't know what I mean. Shooty's been busy. I mean he's in you know he's he, they would have had to find you know wedge his with his schedule between sex education and the Barbie movie. <laughs> Because, I mean, that's one reason I think he doesn't start until November. It's just saying like the first time they got him. Yeah, well, he's, I mean, he's been around. He's been doing stuff on social media in the last couple of weeks. So okay, it's possible. so. He, yeah, and he also, he dyed his hair back to dark because he was doing um, sex ed. And he also shaved his mustache for sex ed. So it's possible that he wrapped or they found a couple of days. Because, you know, the, when you did the actual regeneration, it's only, you know, a couple of hours. If that much, you know, throw them against the camera, have a 30 second, you know, to a minute bit and then we go to black or the TARDIS is exploding or falling again. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it would be really super disrespectful to shooty if he's not in that or we, and we don't see him at all. And we suddenly go to some weird tenant thing because, you know, and Jason's heard my rant about tenant fans before. It's just that I don't need that kind of like resetting everything so that we're all back to 2008 and the people who love tenant can suddenly go on and on about how, you know, he's the only doctor, the only one who counts and nobody else, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just think it would be disrespectful to Jody and to shooty. If we 
had to have this like bridge doctor there. So that's my. And I'll point out, Shooty has more followers on social media than people who watch Legend of the Sea Devils. He's your biggest (laughs) asset right now in terms of marketing. It would be offensive if he is not anywhere near the last two minutes of the finale. Right. I, I just think he needs to be there. Not, I, I don't want a cliffhanger with Tenet because I, I'll, I'll throw something. And, you know, I like David Tennant. I think he's a great actor. I don't like his fans. And I also just don't want to relive solely 2008 for, you know, the 60th anniversary. We have an awesome new doctor coming in. Brilliant. And Mark, what is your idea? <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure, really. I think what you were saying, Jason, about the multi-doctor story, they did that with Twice Upon a Time. I'm not sure they would do... The, the same thing quite so closely but I haven't said that I would like to see the Fugitive Doctor pop up in there at some point something that just occurred to me looking at it there because we, when the trailer came out at the end of Legends of Sea Devils we saw Tegan and Ace kind of pop up from behind cover with the machine guns and start spraying away and uh, at the time I tweeted uh, a caption saying this is for Auntie Vanessa it <laughs> 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 uh, would be the master on the other end but now we know that it's um it's a sort of a platoon of Cybermen that are there. And it occurred to me that's interesting because from Tegan's point of view, this will be the first time she's seen the Cybermen since Adric's death. So there'll be kind of an emotional resonance from that. Uh, you know, and for Ace, you know, one of her greatest stories is sort of a nemesis. So she's she's met the Cybermen before and, you know, kind of um, faced them down and, and been killing them with the uh, the gold coins and things like that. So, yeah, that is interesting that potentially it's those two pitted against the Cybermen, maybe with Unit in London. So, yeah, that's, um, because we're saying that, that's something to really look forward to. Um, because I think there was an interview somewhere where um, Janet Fielding said that she, that, that Chris Chibnall took some notes from her on where she thought the character of Tegan would be at this point as well. So, uh, yeah, I think maybe... Adric's death would factor into that, given that she's facing the Cybermen again. And also, now that uh, you're mentioning that, the fact that we see a Dalek, and there's something about in, in the blurb that Jason read that the Dalek is actually trying to contact the Doctor. I, you know, in theory, Tegan probably hasn't seen a Dalek since her last episode either. Uh, that Reve- yeah. Re- Re- yeah. revelations. Because I always mix up that resurrection. Titles. Yeah. Um, so. It'll be interesting. Also, I mean, Ace has already dealt with uh, Daleks and she can, you know, bash their brains in, which is cool. I mean, I know that Sophie also said she was doing a lot of stunts, including riding a motorcycle, and um, they they couldn't keep her down, and Janet was not very happy because she didn't have to do her own stunts. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I'm expecting action, Tegan, and action, and Ace also, so which is cool. I was going to say, given Janet Fielding's well-known attitudes towards Adric and or Matthew Waterhouse, I would have thought that her first on-screen reaction, seeing a Cyberman for the first time since 1982, would be to go, hey, thanks, guys, bring it in. (laughs) I owe you you a few. You're evil. And where can we find all you fine folks online or on the shelves? Jan, you've got a book coming out. Uh, Where else can we find you? You can find me on Facebook under my name, which is Jan Fennick, or on Instagram, which is total underscore Janarchy, J-A-N-A-R-C-H-Y. And Ross, you have three podcasts going, and you're going to be guesting on Doctor Who Literature in a few more weeks. What else can we have forward to look for in the Rossverse? Uh, well, with the regular Galfrey's Most Wanted, me and Vic just recorded uh, yesterday, uh, we discussed... Uh, Curse of Fenric, so we were both in our happy place because we both really love that one. Mm. We're both big Sylvester fans. Um, I'm 
Got, I'm recording uh, an episode on the second Doctor coming up with Cy and Frasier. That will be coming up in a, I think, in a week, in two weeks. I don't know. I haven't figured it out. And then there's my comic podcast, Stop, Let's Team Up. I have four straight days of recording that for different things. So, And then me and Jeff, Jeff, uh, once we know when BBC America is showing (laughs) Power of the Dalek, Vic and me may do a a same day or next day recording on what we think of it. Well, it's definitely being aired on the 23rd. I'm not sure. Is it, but we're hoping simulcast, even though it means God awful lengths of commercials. I'm assuming it is. They've done everything else simulcast. Yeah, I haven't checked the schedule, but it it looked like there were holes in the schedule that would be the the roughly two o'clock Eastern time. time Good. Because, I mean, it's it it's so it won't be a 90 minute with their commercials. It'll be, it'll be two, hours. two and a half hours. You'll get no commercials for 30 minutes and then you'll get commercials every five minutes. Mm. <sighs> At which point you have to stop, you know, live tweeting or reading other people's reactions because you'll be spoiled and be behind by 20, 30 minutes, which is just insanity. Like uh, the actor in Fugitive of the Jadoon who tweeted his presence in the story before it aired in America, thereby spoiling hundreds of thousands of fans. I will turn. I will just turn my phone off or uh, log out yeah. of my Gallifrey Twitter feed and <laughs> just be on my comic feed. Yeah, I, I just watch things. I do not live tweet anymore. But I, and and as Jason said before, I mean, I, I'm one of the things I moderate on Gallifrey Base is the spoilers section. So I'm impervious to spoilers. Nothing bothers me. But it's still frustrating because you know people want to be surprised. They should be surprised, and I have to deal with that malarkey. And Ross and Mark are coming up on Doctor Who Literature, my side podcast. I'm going to be bringing that to L.I. Who, so Jan will be on that again as well. Nice. Mark, where else can we find you on the internet, apart from your guest appearance on Trap One today? Uh, I am on Twitter as at Quark McMalice, and I've recently done quite a few episodes of Gallifrey's Most Wanted, so, so oh, yeah. please check those out. Comic oh, shop, yeah. that's right. Comic that's shop, yeah. Uh, I, and I'll be messing you with a suggestion of what our next one is. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, because I've been digging around and um, I got some ideas. <laughs> and I was recently on Flight Through Entirety talking about Cold War as well on their, um, their current series. So. Oh, cool. Nice. And I've done a couple of Gallifrey's Most Wanted. Looking forward to uh, coming back and talking over Ross, which I do so well. Thanks all. Thanks to all of you guys for uh, showing up today. We've had a good time breaking down the trailer, and the episode will be releasing in less than two weeks on BBC and B- BBC America, as we sit here on a Monday in October. Some of us will rejoin you shortly after that for the official Trap One breakdown episode on Power of the Doctor. Mark and UK Jason will be on your next episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Trap One Podcast. You can find all past episodes on trapone.podbean.com or on your podcatcher of choice. Also on tw- Twitter at trap1 underscore. I am on Twitter at Doctor Who Novels. That's DR Who Novels and the Doctor Who Literature Podcast. And thanks very much. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you.